Uh, Father, we do ask for your help now. Uh, Lord, knowing that you love us immensely, that you are changing us and growing us to be more like Jesus. Uh, Lord, knowing that uh, you give us your word to reveal yourself and reveal your promises, uh, reveal all of your truths in more depth, Lord, uh, to show us the gospel and all that it means for us. And so we ask that you will uh, work powerfully among us here now as we come to Hebrews 13. Um, Help us to listen well. Uh, Lord, help us to uh, be humble before your word. And uh, Lord, I pray for myself, of course, too, uh, that you will uh, be with me with my energy and voice and those sorts of things and sustain me as I uh, preach your word. We We ask, please, and we ask these things in Jesus' great name. Amen. Well, this is probably an overstatement, Uh, But I have a love-hate relationship with Facebook, okay? Uh, There's things I like about it. Uh, I like how I can uh, easily uh, be in touch with family who are overseas. I think it's really, really good. Uh, I like how I can quickly send a message to a friend, quite often get a message back quickly as well. Uh, And I like how uh, people post uh, Christian articles, you know, and things that you're just not going to find in the major newspapers and stay in touch that way. Uh, I even like sometimes the funny pictures and jokes and things you find as well, but there's limits to that, of course. But there's things that I don't like about Facebook as well, okay? Uh, Facebook tries to sell itself as a very real and true community, when the truth is that everything is happening behind whatever profile you want to put up there. Uh, To... um, uh, to be a friend, all you have to do is click a button. As simple as that. You don't even have to invest into the relationship and you can just end it just as easily. Uh, just press a button as well. Um, a week or so ago, I logged into Facebook and it congratulated me that me and Alison connected eight years ago on Facebook. And I think, but we were already married. Come on. You know, they're trying to take credit for our, for our marriage. You know, it, they're, they're trying to create a real community. You know, and it can get pretty strange as well as people like and follow certain pages and groups. You end up with these smaller communities of like-minded people. You know, I came across uh, some very strange ones as I was looking into this. Uh, There's one called I Hate the Sun. A whole community of people who just prefer darkness. Just, I don't understand. Uh, There's one called Procrastinators Unite Tomorrow. And I might check that one out one day. And, uh, and here's another one that I like, and I like it because I agree. It's called, Dear Pringles, I cannot fit my hand inside your tube of deliciousness. Okay? And I'm going to stop there before it gets really, really weird. You know? look, look, Facebook might share ideas, you know, news and pictures. It's actually very good for that. You know, I, I think it has its place. Uh, let me give a shameless plug. Please like our church's Facebook page. I think it's a good thing to do. But, but how, whatever we do with it, we have to remember... Despite their whole, all their marketing, it's actually not a true community. It's not a real, in-depth community. Because when people truly come together, something is going to be shared on a, on a deeper level, way beyond what we find on a screen. And you know, if we want the truest community that there is, we need to be part of the one that God is putting together. That's the truest community. And he has a vision of an amazing community. That's what we're going to look at in our sermon here today. Uh, Today, as we heard at the beginning, this is the last one in our series on Hebrews. And as we reach the final chapter, what we see there is that the writer has just packed in all this stuff, the last things he wants to say before he writes down his final goodbye to them. 
Uh, his big point, as we remember, across the whole letter was been to encourage the readers to just not give up on Jesus, even when they were tempted to do that, even when their old religious practices uh, were tempting them as well. So he has been telling them things like, well, Jesus, you know, he is so much better. Uh, he's the one all those religious practices were pointing to. You know, his work on the cross pays for our sins once and for all. You know, our, our relationship with God, it's a done deal in Jesus. You know, he's been telling them big things uh, like that. He's been uh, telling them that they need to stay focused then and stay resolute in light of that. You know, the Christian life was a marathon, not a sprint. You know, even when we trip up with our sufferings that come our way, we know that God is up to something really good for us. You know, God is faithful. Don't give up. That's what he's been saying. So as we get to this last chapter, all of that sort of funnels down into um, him sharing a bunch of ways this should spill over into the Christian life. Okay, and what we get is a vision of this renewed community in Christ. You know, people who have tasted uh, the gospel. You know, a, sh a great vision of this better community. And so what he wants is them fixed on that better community of who they are in Christ and who they can be in Christ. And I want to pull out three ideas from this passage for us today. There's a whole lot here, but I just want to pull out three things. Uh, the better community, it pursues active love, it aims for godliness, and is led by and is dependent on God. So let's look at our first point. The better community pursues active love. Let's look at the first verse. We read there. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Now, when we read the word love, we can very easily and quickly jump to the idea of love as a feeling, can't we? You know, and so we might find ourselves reading this verse as something like, well, make sure you have warm and fuzzies towards other uh, believers. Uh, but the writer of Hebrews, he has something uh, a bit more specific in mind as he says that. Uh, because he goes on then to give two examples of this act of love. He talks about strangers and prisoners. And right away, just with those two titles, we see that he's widening the net, isn't he, of believers who have to receive our love. Uh, this is not just about loving those who we already know really well or who we're already very comfortable with. You know, let's think about entertaining strangers. When, when this was written... That would have been very, very important uh, because Christian travelers needed places of safety and they needed places that were reputable and appropriate for a follower of Christ. They needed hospitality that would come from fellow believers. And the writer here, he thinks back to the example or the story of Abraham. Um, we read back in Genesis that uh, there was a time when he provided food for these strangers, these three visitors that came to him and they turned out to be angels. Now, the point here I need to say is that isn't so much to isn't so much that we need to be careful in case any visitors that come our way might be angels. Though, as an aside, let me say that that can happen, and you can ask me about that another time. Uh, but really, what he's getting at here is that we need to be careful that we aren't withholding from people who God has sent our way. That's what he's saying. And so, let me ask us then: you know, Do we open our home? to other believers, as an example? You know, or do we ever come to church saying things like, well, I don't know so-and-so very well, but 
you know, I'm going to invite him or her over to, to have a meal with us so that we can get to know them uh, a little bit more. Let me politely say from experience, you know, that's just a great blessing when we do that. And uh, we get to know people from our church so much more over a meal as compared with a quick chat, you know, over an afternoon tea or last cup or morning tea or whatever it might be. Nor what about strangers, you know, like newcomers to our church? You know, let's, let's aim for a culture here where, you know, we're all willing to go up to a visitor if nobody is speaking with him yet, uh, you know, and not assume somebody else is going to do it. You know, that might stretch us at times, but it's a good, active, uh, loving thing to do. You know, or we can look carefully at our growth groups and ask some other questions. You know, are we able to accept into our group people who are a newcomer to the church who we just don't have a whole lot of background with yet? Can we do that? You know, how can we set up our group so that a newcomer could join us and feel welcome and feel comfortable among us? These are all simple examples, though, but they show that active pursuing love, don't they? Then the writer goes on to uh, talk about people in prison. And he says, not only remember them, you know, but to suffer alongside them. You know, and there would have been a practical side to this. Uh, prisoners in biblical times, uh, they weren't treated very well. Most of the same prison system that we have today. Uh, prisoners quite often would need family or friends to bring them food and bring uh, different types of care. But again, see, there's a principle at work as we look over these first few verses. As a follower of Jesus, I will look outside myself to other believers who are in need, even if that's costly to me, even if that's not a very easy thing to do. Now, we do have very encouraging things happening here at Epping. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, we usually give pretty generously when there's an appeal or you know, when there's been a crisis and there are people in need. You know, we, uh, we're supporting and fundraising, as we know right now, for the team going to Ethiopia. You know, we're looking out to, a, to, the, to the wider church. Um, as we come up here and pray, there are some of us who pray for the persecuted church, and almost every week we're praying for our missionaries. You know, th these things are all very, very good. But let me ask another question to help us just dig a, just a tiny bit deeper with this. When we hear about the suffering of Christians being persecuted, um, in different parts of the world. You know, what is our reaction to that? Um, take believers in Iraq and Syria at the hands of ISIS, uh, for example. And I picked that one because that's been a really big one over the past year and one we all know about. But, you know, when we see that sort of thing, do we stop and think, those are my Christian brothers and sisters, you know, uh, suffering over there. And knowing this, in a sense, I'm suffering with them as well. See, that's part of what it means to be the better community in Christ. It's not just about us as individuals. It's not just about me and my immediate circle of good Christian friends. It's not even just about me and my church. I mean, that's very important, but it's not just about that. It's about us and all believers knowing that the love that we have received from Christ then has to be spread both near and far. So then as we think about that, you know, it opens up a whole lot of opportunities for pursuing active love. So, you know, we can pray deliberately as we come to church, you know, Lord, show me who I can reach out to today, even if that person is brand new to me. We can ask that. You know, or, or, or why not pick one ministry of the wider church or global church that's reaching people in need and really get behind it and support it and pray for it. 
Now, if you find these things intimidating, remember this. If it was just you, as one individual in the church, reaching out to the whole church and the wider church, that would be really, really hard. That's true. But if Epping Presbyterian is full of people, each pursuing that act of love, well, then that outward movement is shared, but then because other people are giving it, we're going to receive it back on ourselves as well. Because remember, this letter, it's written not to individuals, but to a church. This is a picture of a community uh, that we're looking at here. A couple of weeks ago, I went to a workshop uh, by a Christian writer and a biblical counselor. His name is Ed Welch. It was uh, about his uh, most recent book called Side by Side, and um, I I really recommend it, actually. Uh, But let me read a little snippet for you. This book identifies the skills we need to help one another. It is for everyone. Along the way, we will find that God is pleased to use ordinary people, ordinary conversations, and extraordinary and wise love to do most of the heavy lifting in his kingdom. He goes on to say, we were meant to walk side by side, an interdependent body of weak people. God is pleased to grow and change us through the help of people who have been recreated in Christ and empowered by the Spirit. That is how life in the church works. The better community, the community renewed in Jesus, is one that has been deeply made new by his active and pursuing love. And so that community then will pursue that act of love as well. It's the first thing we see here in our final chapter. Second, second thing that we learn about the better community is that it aims for godliness in all of life. It aims for godliness in all of life. And so we'll see that as we look through verses 4 to 6. Put it on the screen for us. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Here the writer pulls in a few areas of life. He he looks at faithfulness in marriage, he looks at sexual immorality, and the love of money. And in my view, he's actually bringing these things in together for a few different reasons. Let me just share two of them. Uh, One is that because, sorry, one is because they are opposed to God, as we read there just now. You know, God will judge for these things. Uh, to follow God is to obey him in his ways, you know, not to just to live however uh, we wish. And so to be godly, well, we need to be following the commands of God. But there's another reason, I believe, uh, why the writer is using these examples. And he's helping us here to understand godliness in a bit of a deeper sense. And uh, we see this if we focus in on the word content that we saw there, that we just read, the word content, and then the Bible quotes, the Old Testament quotes that come afterwards. See, to go after sexual immorality and money, one way to look at it is that it is not contentment in God. Uh, In a sense, it's saying, what God gives me is not good enough. Uh, To be satisfied, to be complete, to be secure, I don't need him. 
I need another sexual partner instead of the one God has given me in marriage. You know, I need more financial gain. So I won't trust that what God provides is best. You know, in this attitude, it, you know, pushed to its extreme, it's, it's part of really only living in the dot instead of the line, if we can think back to the language of last week's sermon. But that's why the writer adds in these Old Testament quotes. Because they remind us that God is always there for us and that he does provide, you know, that he is our best security and help. So part of godliness is having that Godward direction in all of life. You know, obeying him and trusting in him as our great provider. You know, resting in his promises instead of just selfish gain for me only in the now. That's what he's getting at, I believe. And we get another glimpse of this all of life godliness if we jump down to verses 15 and 16, where he writes, Through Jesus, therefore... Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. See, godliness is also where the person's whole life, in a sense, is a sacrificial offering to God. In these verses we see it in the praise that comes from our lips, in our relationship with Jesus, and again, that act of love towards brothers. So let me bring all these ideas over the last minute or so together. Godliness is not just piety. You know, as if someone is holy because they pray a lot or they go to church every week or they help the poor or whatever you want to add to that list. I mean, those things are fine practices, of course. But godliness is a whole being response to what God has done in Jesus. It's like what we read in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so this leads us to a takeaway question. You know, as we think of the, what we've been seeing in this chapter, as we think back over the letter to the Hebrews overall and, and think of the images there, you know, if Jesus really, really is better... You know, if God has been faithful across the millennia, you know, if he is there for us and will never forsake us at any time, if his promises of everything he says will come are sure, then is my life truly focused on God? It's good for us all to ask that, isn't it? You know, as a community, are we, as a people, glorifying him? Is he on view in all that we do? When we're tempted, what will we do? How will we act? Will we take the easy way out or will we run to the one who has been tempted in every way and knows what we're going through? Will we functionally live as if this life is the only one we'll ever see? Will we take our sins seriously? Not just because of God's commands and judgment, but because we want to love him and please him. I remember one of my Bible college lecturer is sharing with us a very simple prayer that we can begin our day with. It's very simple. It just goes like this. Lord, show me how to live for you today. Show me how I can glorify you. Simple words, but that attitude is the pathway to godliness. Praise to God in all of life, in what we live for, because we know that he has been amazing to us in Jesus. The better community will be marked by this. 
And so as we wrap up Hebrews, we, we get this picture of the, this better community. We've seen the active love that should be part of it. We have just seen the, the godliness in all of life. The last thing I want to share with us tonight, the third picture of that community, is that it is led by and is dependent on God. Led by and dependent on God. Let me say that this is the, the, the gracious hope that we need as we close the book of Hebrews and, and look at the things that we've been seeing in chapter 13. Because let's be honest, we're all sinners. We don't get all of this right 100% of the time, do we? It's not always easy, is it, to be outward looking? I mean, it's so easy just to look at ourselves or our own immediate circle. It's challenging to do otherwise. You know, sometimes it really takes us out of our comfort zones. Um, sexual temptation, it does come our way, for some of us quite strongly. You know, we can have a tendency to try to fix it ourselves instead of running to God as our help and security. But if we look closely at this chapter, we see that this living out of our faith, this picture of the renewed community, it's possible because God is graciously at work. That's the wonderful picture here. Uh, he is our strength. He is the main worker of that community. Listen as I just pulled it out as we, uh, in a skim across um, our chapter here. Verse 6. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Verse 9. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. In verse 12, we see that uh, Jesus makes us holy through his blood. Now, Matt reminded us of that last week. Uh, Jesus can call us to holiness because he gives us a new identity of holiness and what he has achieved for us in the cross. But where I'd really like to focus for a moment is verses 20 and 21. Now, this is one of my favorite doxologies. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Did you hear what I emphasized as I read that? You know, him equipping us with everything uh, good for doing his will. Him working in us what is pleasing to him. Friends, the great news of the gospel is not only did Jesus die and rise for us and stand in our place, you know, give us forgiveness of sins and eternal life, but we also can't forget this part of it. The same Jesus is at work in us now. You know, and not only will God never leave us as we read here, but, you know, he changes us. He pours out his grace and strength into our lives. He convicts us of our sins so that we move towards repentance. He pours out the fruit of his spirit who lives in us. He grows us to maturity by his word. God is at work. I could keep listing all the amazing ways he's active in our lives. See, God doesn't save us and then leave us to fend for ourselves until we see him in glory. That's just not the gospel. When he claims us as his, he begins a work that he will complete. Now remember we saw back in chapter 12 that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. So in this life now, we live as a Christian community that is fully dependent on Jesus. We run to him. Last week, as most of you know, or at least those of you who live in the Epping area, uh, we had a council cleanup. 
Okay, and people did as they usually do. You know, you take your, your junk, dump it on the curb, and then you walk around, you look at everyone else's junk, and you take more junk home. You know, that's just how it works. You know, and this time around, I found an old chair that I'm going to upcycle. I love that word, upcycle. Uh, I found a door that I think I'm going to make into a top for a workbench and a few small shelves. But, you know, really, most of what's out there is rubbish, isn't it? That's why we throw it away in the first place. You know, after the people give the piles a good once over, you know, they get first pick. Uh, when the council comes and takes stuff away, what's left really is rubbish, isn't it? And where does it go? To the tip. Back at the time of this letter, the people had a tip too, in a sense. Now, the tip was outside the city, and that whole area was considered to be a place of shame and disgust. You know, you want it to be in the city, not outside it. You know, outside... Things happened like burning of the leftover carcasses of the animal sacrifices. We see in verse 11 here. And it was also the place where the lowest of the low criminals were crucified and executed. So thinking of that, read with me please, starting in verse 12. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Do you see the flow in what he's saying? Jesus completely lowered and shamed himself to bear our sins, and so we can run to him. We can completely identify with him. And all of this is leading to that better city, the hope that he has secured for us. In and through him, our lives then can be that sacrifice of praise to God. It's pretty amazing when we think about it like that, you know. You know, Jesus knew shame so that we can go through life with our guilt and shame dealt with. And even then, as we stumble and fall, we can be assured of forgiveness and get up in his strength and continue. You know, Jesus tasted death so that whatever we struggle with, we know there's eternal glory to come. Uh, Jesus was excluded from his original community of his time so that we could come into a new community of believers. He was completely broken so that we could be healed. And it's the same Jesus who we saw in verse 20. He's described there as the great shepherd, great shepherd of the sheep, and the, she and the sheep, that's the better community. That's us. But as a shepherd, he is leading us, protecting us, supplying our needs, walking with us. We are dependent on him and we are led by him. And he also gives us under-shepherds, leaders to also guide and set an example in him as we see a couple times in the chapter and something that Steve highlighted at the beginning. Friends, as the original readers of Hebrews 13, they were given this vision of a better community. We need to look there too and aim to be that community ourselves. Let's be a church of people who are pursuing active love, even when it's costly, even when it's hard. Let's aim for a deep godliness that comes from more than just wanting to obey the commands of God, but wanting to glorify and love him and have an all-of-life response to his amazing grace in Jesus. And all of those things, and in all that we've been called to, Let's be fully dependent on him. Let's stop trying to do it ourselves. Let's run to him. And let's be led by the greatest shepherd. Pray with me, please.
Father, thank you for the letter to the Hebrews. Thank you for the things that we have been learning and have been reminded of and encouraged by and convicted of, uh, Lord, as we've run through this series last year and in, in recent weeks as well. Uh, Lord, we want to be that better community. We know we are in Christ. We also know this is a vision of what we can aim for as well. And we ask that you will be merciful and kind and gracious to us and enable us to get closer and closer to this picture here. Uh, Lord, we ask, please, that we will be uh, people of godliness in all of life. And we ask that, uh, Lord, that we will be people who pursue active love and not just hold an idea of love, but, but, but do it even when it's challenging. We ask, Lord, that we will be completely depending on you and receive, be receiving your grace in walking in your strength, Lord. Father, renew us, please. Sometimes we fall so short of this community, but we know that you are enabling your forgiveness and what you are doing in us is real, and we trust in you in this. Help us together, Lord, to go forward because of all that you have done for us in Jesus, and we pray these things in his name. Amen.